Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. So it is back in the driver's seat, I guess. It's been a while. It really has been a while. And it's good to be back. Good to be on air again. Seeing as uh, when we when were we last together for fresh thinking, it must have been right at the beginning of December. Everybody's had a summer. Everybody's been doing whatever it is that you've been doing. Hopefully, you had a good break. Hopefully, it was enjoyable. Hopefully, it was a lot of fun. And most importantly, hopefully, you will have the energy, the excitement, the motivation to go and make a fantastic year because you've been so rested and so invigorated so i do hope that you had a good break whether you got away or whether you were here in town whatever it is as long as you're feeling back to yourself and motivated and looking to take on the year so let's kick it off it's fresh thinking for this next season you're with me until three o'clock it's uh, an opportunity to engage and to discuss and to converse and to throw ideas around and try and think a little bit out of the box. As always, you are not just the audience. You are a participant. There's always a lot of interaction, and I invite you to share your thoughts, raise your voice. So uh, 34519 if you're going to SMS in. Otherwise, you can WhatsApp 0618951019. And you can tweet, as many people like to do. You can tweet at Chai FM. You can tweet me directly at Rabbi Shish. Today, I think we're going to talk about something which plays on many people's minds, which is, which is the greater challenge? And I'm talking specifically a spiritual challenge, although some people might take a different angle on it and say there are other areas we could explore. So which is the greater spiritual challenge to have or not to have? Is is it easier to be connected, to be spiritual, to be inspired, to be uh, in a good soul place if you're rolling in the dough, if you're financially well off, or is it perhaps easier to do so when times are tough and the chips are down? So which creates the greatest spiritual challenge, wealth or lack thereof? That's how we're going to kick off over here today, and I'd love to hear your thoughts and insights on that. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. So I guess that this is the kind of thing that people do think about a lot. And what's interesting is that if you are somebody, on, I guess, on either side of the scale, but particularly, I think, when people, God forbid, go through financial difficulties, they probably think about this just a little bit more. And that is, which is the greater spiritual challenge? I mean, we know that it's quite common for people who do not have financial success to wish for it and to imagine that it's going to completely shift, change, elevate, improve their life. Don't think that you find people doing the opposite. I don't think that you find people saying, uh, I wish I had less because then I'd be more spiritually in tune. I don't think that's what happens. But still, the question is, what do you think? Do you think that having money puts you into a better spiritual place? Or does it create greater spiritual challenges? And the flip side, if a person does not have money, if a person is struggling to make ends meet, and there's a lot of stress that goes with that, let us not undermine for one moment how much stress surrounds a person 
who is battling financially. And if there's a lot of stress around, do you have the wherewithal? Do you have the capacity for spirituality? You can argue, I suppose, that it's Maslow's hierarchy. And if you're battling to put food on the table or pay your utility bill at the end of the month, do you really have the headspace? To sit and meditate and connect and get in touch with all kinds of deep and meaningful and lofty and abstract things because you're just simply trying to survive. On the other hand, I suppose people would tell you that if you're living in the lap of luxury and you have so much that you could do, so much choice, so many experiences at your fingertips, so much of what life has to offer materialistically, maybe that desensitizes a person to the spiritual. Maybe when you're in a position that you can drive around in luxury and travel the world and eat the finest foods and wear brand label clothing, maybe that becomes what life is about and it's a distraction from spirituality. So I think you could argue it both ways and that's why I think it's interesting and that's why it would be great to hear your views on it because especially without having to say it, but especially if you've had personal experience, maybe you had stages in your life or currently are in a particular stage that's altogether different from an earlier stage in your life. Maybe there was a time where you were down and out and now, thank God, you're feeling very comfortable. Maybe you can share without telling us detail about your personal experience, but just an insight, a real insight, not a book insight, but a real insight in terms of, you know, which one lends itself more to spirituality. When you think, let's just seed this conversation a little bit more. When you think of a spiritual person, just picture, close your eyes for a second, unless, of course, you're driving. So in your mind's eye, just picture for a second the first kind of person that pops up in your head if we say spiritual person. Just just think about it for, for briefly, for briefly for a second. Tell me if the following things resonate with what's crossed your mind. So you think spiritual person. Is it fair to say <coughs> that you think of a person who dresses simply? Is that fair? You know, it's in your mind, the first picture that popped up in your mind of this spiritual person, were they wearing something like maybe a kaftan or a, a simple robe or, you know, just basic, I suppose, ordinary off-the-rack kind of clothing? Is that one of the first things that would have crossed your mind? Let's, let's develop this further. The person that you have in your mind, when you think spiritual person, do you see them driving around in a Lexus? When you think spiritual person, do you see them sitting down to savor the particularly nuanced gravy on a steak? You know, so automatically, without even, and unless you disagree, unless the picture that came up in your mind was different. But I would wager that for the average person, when you think spiritual person, the image that crosses your imagination first is an image of somebody who is not overly invested in the luxuries of life. So that lends itself to say that perhaps wealth is a greater challenge to spirituality. Maybe. Don't know. What, uh, what do you think? Well, uh, you know, I guess, again, people have different experiences and no two people are the same. And the result for one person might be altogether different to the result for another person. So there are, I suppose, many things that we could explore in this conversation. Here's Mark. Mark says that wealth is more challenging on a depth level while such a person may participate in shul and communal service. 
they'd be challenged to do it with sincerity, whereas somebody in need of daily bread prays from the heart. That's quite an insight, an insight because, again, I think that's what we expect. That's what we expect. We expect that people who are less financially secure would typically speak more to God. Isn't that what we expect? So here's somebody who doesn't know how they're going to make it through the month. They don't know how they're going to pay their school fees. They don't know how they're going to get rid of all those medical bills or fix the leak in their house after all the rains or whatever it is. So the person who's under a lot of stress, you anticipate that they're going to speak to God. Please help me out. Please send me a windfall. Please make my landlord have some compassion on me. My bank manager lose my phone number, whatever it is that the person is going to ask for. So does that make you more spiritual? If you, it's, a, it's an interesting test. If a person speaks to God more frequently, does that necessarily make them more spiritual? Now, Mark's point is that the person who speaks to God, the person who prays when they have difficulty, prays literally from the heart because their life depends upon it. And the implication, I think, of his comment is that if a person has what they need, they don't have the same compulsion to have to pray to God. You know, I'll get there. I'll get to Shul. I'm just busy right now. It's a busy week. We're, we're trying to get things back off the ground again. Maybe next week I'll get to Shul. That kind of thing. Now, that's a huge generalization, surely. Number one, it's a generalization that that's how we divide people between the haves and the have-nots. The have-nots tend to pray more. Is that true? I don't know. We can test it. And the other thing that's a little bit generalized about it is that you kind of assume, I suppose, that just because a person has things they need to ask for that, and, and they ask sincerely, that that means that the person becomes spiritual. Is that necessarily true? Is it necessarily true? You know, why? why, why? I mean, again, sincerity, we are not going to in any way doubt the sincerity. If a person has difficulties and a person's feeling the pinch, they are absolutely sincere in their request for help. And if they address that request to God, they're absolutely sincere in their belief that God will help them. Does that necessarily make the person spiritual? Does it make the person uh, have less spiritual challenge? You see where I'm going with this? Because I think at the end of the day, we often make that kind of a mistake. We look at something from the outside and we make an assumption as to what that something means. Now, we don't necessarily have any evidence of what it means just because it's what a person does. Okay, So the question is, which creates the greater spiritual challenge? Is it wealth or is it poverty? Don't think you can just simply say, well, it depends who speaks to God more, that that will be the indicator of who has less or more spiritual challenge. Not sure. Not sure. Uh, this is very nice. Somebody says, excellent question. Well, that's great. Uh, maybe you can, you know. Okay. Uh, now, I don't understand this one. I do not understand this message. Uh, Warren says, having and knowing both, just saying. Oh, oh, got it. Got it. Which is the, okay, I understand it. Which is the greatest spiritual challenge? So Warren is saying having money is the greater spiritual challenge and he knows both sides. Okay, that's interesting. So now you're talking about somebody who's got personal experience and it's difficult to argue with somebody's personal experience because that is their experience. Let's dig into the Torah as well. I mean, it's not just a matter of opinion, even though I do think that opinions over here are very valuable because they give us real 
insight into what people really think and possibly even into what people's personal experiences have been. But we, we're here to learn what Judaism has to say. So we're going to scrounge around. Let's dig into the Torah and see. Help me out over here. Where in the Torah do we find any information about what it does for you if you are wealthy in terms of your spirituality and what it does for you if you are poor in terms of your spirituality. So you can share that on 34519 via SMS. Otherwise, WhatsApp 0618951019. Some nice tweets coming in at Chai FM. You can tweet me directly at Rabbi Shish as well. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 Chai FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. I guess it is interesting because uh, I just said, you know, we're... Uh, we're talking about what would the Torah say. The question is, I suppose, have people and times changed? So here's somebody on Twitter who says, most people become very religious in difficult times. <clears throat> I'm not interested in religious. You see, that's the thing. We, we often make that mistake. We think that if a person is religious, that implies that they do not have spiritual challenges. Religious means that you are observant. It means that you're following a set of rules. And while that is appropriate and it's something that's expected of us and it's the starting point of everything, you can't really expect to develop yourself spiritually if you're not doing the – if you're not living the framework of where the spirituality is supposed to happen. So – but just because people do religious things when they're feeling that there's pressure – or when they're feeling that times are tough, doesn't tell us that they don't have spiritual challenge at that point. Perhaps, perhaps we should try and identify what we mean by spiritual challenge. Sometimes it's difficult to speak within a vacuum. Sometimes you have to, you have to know what is it that you're actually talking about. So uh, if you're going to talk about spiritual challenge, we probably need a definition of what spiritual challenge actually means. He has a message from Rene who says, both are spiritually challenging. We are all looking for God regardless, and everyone has their pekalach, whether rich or poor. Fine, great. So we can say that, right? We can say that both are spiritually challenging. And that's correct. That is true. I think it would be naive for any person to believe that neither one has its spiritual challenges. What's fascinating is which one typically has the greater spiritual challenge. Now, some people turn around, and I suppose it's in line with this thought that people become religious in difficult times. Let's flip that. We can flip that exactly in the opposite direction. You can say people drop religion in difficult financial times because they can't afford certain things. I know that we hear it often in Joburg. People say the price of kosher meat makes me want to stop eating kosher. So financial strain can impact religion. I, 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 doubt, I don't doubt that there are people who got to a particular point in their life where they said, I can no longer do this because I don't have the finances. And that became their challenge to their religion. That could be a spiritual challenge, one of, one of the spiritual challenges. Here I am. I believe this process. I believe this doctrine. I believe this ideology. But I'm, I'm finding that I'm not able to actually do it because it has expectations that I cannot afford so that's a, that's a real spiritual challenge that a person could have. Okay, maybe you want to argue that it's more of a religious challenge. It's a challenge to being able to support yourself religiously. Still, 
A classic example, I suppose, of that very famous story that the Talmud tells us about Hillel, the great sage Hillel, who was an amazing person. We know that he contributed some of the most fundamental insights that we have in Judaism. When he started off and he, he wanted to study under who were at that time the two leaders of the Jewish world, Shemaiah and Aftalion, there was a fee to enter into the yeshiva. The entire community was relatively destitute. So you had to keep the wheels turning somehow. So they charged an entrance fee. And I know that some people get very up in arms about the concept or the suggestion that we would charge money to teach people Torah. But that's what happened in those days. There was, there was no option. They needed to keep the place to keep the doors open keep the lights on so Hillel used to go out and he used to schlep around he used to chop wood and deliver to people for firewood so they could have enough money to sustain himself with food and get into the yeshiva every day and the very famous story is about the day that he could not get into the yeshiva because he didn't have the money and negotiate back and forth as much as he tried with the guard at the gate he couldn't get into the yeshiva so there that's a spiritual challenge right there person who wants to pursue his spirituality, who's absolutely dedicated, who we now know in retrospect went on to become one of our greatest sages ever, but practically, practically could not get into the yeshiva because he didn't have the money. That's a spiritual challenge due to lack of finance. Now, in Hillel's case, he rose to the occasion right? and, and he overcame the challenge. That's the famous part of the story where he climbed up onto the roof because there was a skylight and he lay down on the skylight to eavesdrop on the shear because they wouldn't let him into the yeshiva. Nobody noticed until he landed up getting covered in snow. It must have been a year such as this one with snow in Jerusalem. And they had to literally rescue him. The man was hypothermic. And after that, they allowed him back into the yeshiva without having to pay the entrance fee. So there's a great example, surely, of real challenge due to lack of funding to one's spirituality, but I suppose it also carries with it the insight into how a person could overcome that challenge. So there's an example. I think another example that many people would look at as a spiritual challenge of financial difficulty would be the challenges around faith. How does a person have faith? We are supposed to believe that God is good. We're supposed to believe that God sustains all living creatures. He made us. We didn't volunteer for this position. Do you recall the time where they ran a, a, a recruitment drive and you raised your hand and said, yes, I'd like to go down to earth for a couple of decades to try and make a difference to the world? No, it was as the Mishnah says. You are born against your will. You live against your will. So we didn't ask for this. Right? We, we did not ask to be put down here. Surely, if God came up with this plan, our trust and belief in him is that he will provide for us. So the person who doesn't see that happening in their life, that's a spiritual challenge. How am I supposed to keep my chin up? How am I supposed to retain my faith? How am I supposed to believe in all the things that I read in the books if, in fact, I'm not seeing it translate into my life? The Torah says, observe my laws, follow my commandments, and I'll give you what you need. Well, I'm trying my best, and I, I don't seem to get any of that. So that could also be a spiritual challenge that the person with financial difficulty will face. What would be the challenge for the person who's doing well, who is comfortable? Where would their challenge lie? Another WhatsApp from Rene makes a very good point, by the way. Rene says, if one cannot afford meat, don't give up on religion. 
You could become a religious vegan or vegetarian. It's a very interesting insight. In other words, <clears throat> how committed? You know, where, where's the priority, I suppose? Right? Where's the priority? Is the priority on your spirituality or is it purely just a matter of saying, I can do it as long as it works the minute the pressures rise and maybe I can't do it anymore. And I suppose that's the Hillel story too, right? He could have easily turned around and said, I tried. I really wanted to learn. I've been working incredibly hard to raise the funds for this. Didn't work out. Today, I'll skip the lesson. Sure. If we're introspective for just a moment, we we drop our observances for far less than that. I mean, we'll skip a morning of shul at the drop of a hat. We'll we'll skip a shira that we had committed ourselves to because of some kind of minor, really minor distraction that we have. And then you've got somebody like Hillel who says, I'll go and risk my life literally to listen in on the shear and Rene is saying a similar thing well you don't have to risk your life but you can change your dietary uh, process I suppose do things a little bit differently and that way you can get around it so those are some of the spiritual challenges of the person who is poor what about the person who is wealthy what's the spiritual challenge of the wealthy person I'll tell you what's significant about this I think we have to just also contextualize for a moment because when we use words like rich and poor, usually, often what we do is we think only in financial terms. And in financial terms, compare, compare to somebody else. So if I know somebody who's far better off financially than I am, I might feel poor in my own head. So if you had to look generationally, yes, of course, there are individuals within our own community who are destitute. Absolutely. And one dare not deny that and we have to provide for them. But if we, if we had to look generationally, would you say that on the whole, the average of our society today would have the challenge of wealth or the challenge of poverty? Which is more common? Now, that's going to feed right into our conversation over here because that is our conversation, which is the greater challenge, wealth or poverty. If you've just tuned in, it's Fresh Thinking. You're with Rabbi Shishla till 3 o'clock. Talking about exactly that, talking about wealth versus poverty, which is the greater spiritual challenge. Inviting your views and opinions on 34519. That's our SMS line. WhatsApps go to 0618951019. And there is a lively Twitter conversation at Chai FM and at Rabbi Shish. Now, if you think back to school, shopping is a drag, think again. Think Walton's Back to School. Walton's has everything and anything in one convenient place with great deals on school essentials and a variety of quality brands. Your shopping will be done in no time because we do it all for you. So avoid the rush. That might be a little bit late for that. And get to Walton's now. Shop online at backtoschool.co.za or visit one of our countrywide stores where helpful staff will pack your list and trading hours have been extended, which is what you call convenience. Bidvest Walton's. It's all sorted. Visit our new stores at Norwood Mall and Morningside Shopping Center. So if you had to look at our world today, would you say that typically, on average, our generation, would you say that we qualify more as people who are 
in the wealth category or people who are in the poverty category because that's going to speak to the essence of our conversation over here today, which is the greater challenge. We've identified some of the challenges that a person might might face spiritually if they are not doing well financially. What about the ones that would affect a person who is? So here's a comment. Wealth is a greater spiritual challenge. Poverty is a greater life challenge. It's an interesting point. It's an interesting point. Um, What do you think? What do you think? Do you think that you can distinguish between a spiritual and a life challenge? Interesting. Here's a great one. Mordechai says, test me, test me. (laughs) Yes, Mordechai, I am with you on that one. Test me. Absolutely. Let's try it. For all those people who figure that they could do with a little bit of extra cash, which is pretty much all of us, Go ahead. Come on. I'm willing. I'm ready. Bring it on. I'm ready for the test of wealth. Now, interestingly, because when in history, I think, sorry, before we go back in history, I think it's fair to say that in our world today, and you're welcome to try and prove otherwise, and if you can prove otherwise, by all means, but I think in our world today, we on average should qualify ourselves as wealthy. That means to say that the kind of amenities that we have, the lifestyle that we live was unthinkable for the vast majority of history to the vast majority, if not all of the people. That means to say, when we talk today about people who are struggling financially, those people, I'm talking in our community, people we're familiar with. We're not talking about people who are in a third world environment. Let's just talk about ourselves. So here we are struggling financially, and it's real. It's a real struggle. Having said that, though, typically we do have staple foods. We have running water. We have ablutions. We have access to health care to some level. We live in a way that people did not dream of. I recently read a story about, um, I, think it was, I think it was Nathan Rothschild. I think that's which Rothschild it was, who died in the late 1800s. And he died of a simple infection. Now, that way he was considered like the wealthiest man in the world at that time. But all the money that he had could not buy him what didn't yet exist, antibiotics. Today, you could have people who live below the breadline with access to that kind of life-saving medication. If you talk about people who are not struggling to, meet, to, you know, to make ends meet, but just kind of living what we would consider a lower middle income kind of life, reality is you probably have two cars or at least one. I mean, who had a car? Who had access to their own personal transport? People used to walk. Yes, the technology wasn't available. Also, the modes of transport were not affordable. And we can keep going. We have access to a tremendous amount of wealth. Probably the only time in history where people had as easy a life, if we can use that expression, financially, might have been the Jewish people when they were still in the desert. And there was free food and the clothing remained fresh and and, and they, did, they literally did not have to worry about buying new clothing. And housing was free. And they had manna delivered to their door every single morning. So maybe that was the only time in history they were better off than us. I mean, for heaven's sake, we go to supermarkets. Think about that for a second. Even if you are limited in terms of what you can put inside that trolley, but the, the, that stuff all exists and it's accessible. And, and certain staple foods are government subsidized. It's like an incredible thing that we don't necessarily think about. So have we become a more spiritual generation for it? 
Have we become a more spiritual generation because we can afford healthcare? Have we become a more spiritual generation because we can do things in a fraction of the time that it used to take our ancestors? Have we become some more spiritual people because we uh, have, I mean, just to use as an example, the Talmud says that the sign of wealth to the extent that there were only two people in the developed world who were considered this wealthy in the period of the Talmud, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi and the Roman emperor, the sign of their wealth is that they could get certain vegetables when they were out of season. <laughs> and in our world, we get vegetables out of season as a matter of course. So has it made us a more spiritually empowered generation? Interesting point. Um, Rene, again, says, I think not to have is better because you can actually see the hand of God. Is that true? Because you can actually see the hand of God. Perhaps there are people who see the hand of God in their success. Here's another WhatsApp that says, no matter what people say, quote unquote, financial poverty brings shame. People suffering it feel shame. Society becomes shameful with neglect. Choice is removed. Having said that, personally, the bleakest scarcity moments have brought the greatest depth, but I was not at rock bottom desperation. All the people that say otherwise have never been at rock bottom except for some spiritual saints. That's a very, that's a very insightful, and, and I think it's beautiful to share something as personal as that. So, yes, the, how, how's that? There's, the, the, there's a really good point in that. There is shame associated with financial poverty, and that's definitely a spiritual challenge. Here's uh, Lore says, Lore Basson says, uh, in today's time, poverty should not be an aspiration. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. In today's world, poverty should not be an aspiration, even though perhaps we believe that it will give us some kind of a spiritual edge. But it should not be an aspiration. Let's go back. So here we are. We live in this fantastic time. And sometimes we just need to remind ourselves that we live in an amazing time in history. Yes, it's not perfect. Yes, there are some really ugly things going on in our world on a whole range of levels. But if you had to talk simply about quality of life, we live in a fantastic time where by Every definition of time, days gone by, we would be considered to be wealthy. Has it worked for us spiritually? Big question. I don't know if people can honestly say that we're more spiritual for it. So go back to the desert. When the Jews were in the desert, you'll see a fascinating thing that God says on more than one occasion. He says it directly in the beginning, and then Moses repeats it later on in the story. God says, I'm going to provide you with this manna. Now, manna was a spectacular food. Even with all of our incredible progress technologically, scientifically, medically, all the food genetics and the debates and conspiracies and whatever around that, we still have not produced manna. The manna was unbelievable. The manna was firstly daily delivery to your doorstep, fresh. Okay. Not a big deal, I suppose, in today's world. It's kind of the thing that you would expect. You go online, you push a button, you expect that you're going to get it. I see that there's grocery stores now in China that are completely Fascinating. Completely online. Delivery within half an hour of placing your order. I think we've got a bit of catching up to do over here. So there you had this fresh manna that arrived on your doorstep. Great. That's not the chap. The chap is that it could taste like anything you imagined. So none of this business of what should we eat tonight? Well, whatever you want, that's what you'll eat tonight. Because it could give you the experience of whatever food it was that you chose. Then it was perfect in terms of its nutritional value. There still is no such food. 
right? Something that has absolute nutritional value to the point that there was no waste. And that freaked everybody out at some point, like food going in and not coming out. But it was an amazing thing. And, and it was naturally filled with spiritual sensitizers. So you ate the manna and it broadened your mind and it switched on your soul and it made you the perfect student for the ultimate divine wisdom. And it's unprecedented. And yet when God says, and later when Moses recounts it, he says, I'm going to give you this amazing food. He, interestingly enough, he attaches the promise. He speaks about this food in the context of, I'm going to test you with this food. Test you. Can you imagine? Perfect food. You're never going to have to work another day in your life. And God says, I'm going to test you with that. And that tells you it's a test. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 high FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. So isn't that intriguing? I mean, here we are talking about a, fen- a phenomenal period of history where people were living in the desert. No, not a worry in the world. And all of that represented by the manna. In fact, to the point that the portion in the Torah that describes the manna, some people have the custom of reading that portion every single day as a way of, so to speak, opening the gates of blessing for their own financial success. So here's this icon of financial success and it's immediately tethered in the Torah's language to the concept of being tested. That tells you something. That tells you something right there. That yes, it's true that there's a tremendous spiritual challenge in not having but there is an equal if not greater spiritual challenge in having. It's the challenge associated with what the Torah calls where a person may start to become smug and think, hey, look at me. Look what I've achieved. Me, me, me. I'm the cause of my own success. And with that, obviously, spirituality starts to disintegrate because the person thinks, I don't need God in my life. It's like that overused joke about the guy looking for the parking spot. I don't need you, God. Thank you. I'm sorted. So when a person becomes that confident in themselves and their own success becomes the cause of their own confidence, God starts to recede into the background of their thinking. And then it's difficult to be spiritual. Also, whether we like it or not, whether we like it or not, I know people love to say that they multitask and they do all kinds of wonderful things. But the reality is that you and I, normal people, are incapable of running in two opposite directions simultaneously. Now, what that means in plain English is either you're enthusiastic about one thing or you are enthusiastic about the opposite. You can't be equally enthusiastic about two contradictory things. So the material world grounds us in the here and now and makes us think that the next most important thing is the next pleasurable thing. In other words, if I'm going to have a good steak tonight, then I have something to look forward to. If I'm getting an upgrade on my phone, I'm excited. Well, if that's what I'm passionate about, things that are tangible, things that are instant gratification, it will naturally cause me to battle to feel value in things that are abstract and things that are long-term value, which is basically what all of spirituality is. So one of the great reasons that it's such a challenge for a person to do well financially is because it redirects me. I'm now oriented towards the here and now. I'm oriented towards things that give me that good feeling and spirituality that just doesn't cut it. So for those reasons, typically throughout history, 
that was the case. You think of the great rabbis of history, the vast majority of them were people who battled financially. We have some major stories of people who literally couldn't put food on the table and how whether it was in Talmudic times or even more contemporary times. And, and these interesting interactions between successfully or financially successful people and people who were in the spiritual realm and, and the, you know, the two worlds colliding and the financially successful person saying, I don't know how you live like that. And the other one saying, I don't know how you live like that. Not so long ago, I came across a, a really nice story about Rebel Khanan Wasserman, who was a great Torah sage who was murdered by the, the Nazis in Machshamam. And they tell a story that an old school friend of his who had become a very successful doctor reunited with him 20, 30 years after they hadn't seen each other. I don't know exactly what the time period was. And he was shocked to find that such a great rabbi, Rabbi Chonon Vassman, who had been his, his classmate, was living in such abject poverty. And he said, well, I don't get it. I don't get it. And Rabbi Vassman didn't reply. Later, when it was time to see him off, they went to the train station, and this fellow gets – he starts heading towards the train. There were two trains at the station. One was spick and span and – just off the, the factory line, beautiful train. The other one looked like it, it was really ready to retire. And this big fancy doctor heads towards the train that was being held together by staples. So the rabbi says to him, I don't get it. Why don't you go on the fan? You're so successful. Why don't you go on the fancy train, the nice train? The, uh, I don't know if it was air conditioned, but you get the idea. He says, why would I go on that train? That train is not going to the destination I need to get to. So Rabbi Khanavasman said, well, it's, it's the same thing with me and your query earlier about why I don't have all this wealth because it's not going to get me to the destination that I want to get to. And that is a staple for, if you look throughout history, that's, that's very much how Judaism thought, right? We don't need this stuff. It's going to just distract us. But we don't live in those times anymore. This is the 21st century. Like it or not, scream till you're blue in the face. We are not the people that they used to be. We don't have the same natural predisposition towards spirituality. We, and we simply don't handle not having. I'm not suggesting that we should become spoiled brats. I'm not suggesting that we need to pursue every luxury that the world offers us. But the reality is we're different people. The reality is that perhaps in the desert it was the biggest challenge for people to be given everything and to have success and then to see whether they would still remain committed to their spirituality. That's no longer the case. We're not those people anymore. We're people today who get easily distracted by financial distress and Maslow's hierarchy kicks in and we don't have the headspace to be able to pray and focus and learn and, and do what Judaism says. We don't. So funnily enough… In today's world, and here's a tweet from ABK, ABK2, who says, Poverty is definitely the greater challenge. The Rebbe insisted this on several occasions, and that's exactly right. Um, in fact, there are quite a number of times and situations where the Lubavitcher Rebbe, who yesterday we celebrated the uh, going into the 70th year from the day that he became the leader of the Chabad movement, and one thing that the Rebbe insisted on very strongly was that we live in a time today where we need to actually have what we need, where we actually need to have financial fluidity, where it's something that would aid our spirituality in a far greater way than poverty would. So this is a shift. This is a shift. It's a shift I think we could all resonate with because we know it from ourselves. We know that perhaps once upon a time there were people who could walk around barefoot in a caftan Perhaps once upon a time there were people who didn't know how they were going to have food for Shabbos and still they were upbeat, focused, and in an incredibly deep spiritual place. 
It's just not us. We're not those people anymore. And not just because we are a different headspace or the world is degraded and we're not as spiritually powerful or resolute as they used to be. It's not just that. There's a very profound reason for this, very profound reason. See, what differentiates Judaism from most spiritual philosophies is that Judaism has always put the materialistic experience at the center of the Jewish spiritual experience. That means you cannot, for example, fulfill the mitzvahs of Shabbos if you don't actually eat. You have to have wine. You need to make kiddush. You need chalas. You're supposed to have meat and fish. You cannot fulfill certain mitzvahs unless you have clothing, unless you have a house, unless you have an income to be able to give charity, and not only charity, but various other things that a person is supposed to do. You cannot put on a pair of tefillin. Uh, you cannot meditate, I should say, on the inside of tefillin unless you have a pair of tefillin, and that's going to cost you money. Whichever area of Judaism you explore, you will always find that the spiritual journey comes back to the material experience. And the reason for that is, that's a very fascinating reason. The reason for that is because Judaism believes that the spiritual realm is not where it's at. Judaism believes that God is where it's at. Don't confuse the two. Don't think that just because something is highly or deeply spiritual that it is closer to God than something which is simply physical. God is infinite. The physical is finite. Finite can't reach infinite. But guess what? The spiritual is finite too. So the spiritual can't get you closer to God than the physical can. So now what? Where do you put your emphasis? There's something to think about. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. So here's the thing. And this is, this is what's so incredible about it. God is infinite. The physical world is finite. The spiritual world is finite. That means neither one of those two can bring you closer to God. And the fascinating thing about Jewish philosophy is that it's just a matter of where God decided to place himself. Because God can do anything, right? God can do anything. God can place himself in a, in a teacup, if you know what I'm saying. God can make himself accessible in whichever environment he chooses. The fact is he chose to make himself accessible in this material world. That's why we are not disembodied souls floating around trying to find the meaning of life. We're here paying taxes, sitting in traffic, worrying about climate change. And in this environment where we have to scrounge together enough money to be able to buy the things, the tools that we need in order to fulfill this great spiritual or better divine quest. Basically, in simple English, that's God's way of saying in the material, in those physical things, that's where you're going to find me. So if you have a difficult time reaching those, those physical things, then you've got a big spiritual challenge because you can't get what you need. Or let's put it into slightly different words. It's even a deeper level of philosophy. The deeper level of philosophy says that the essence of God, which is what we want to attain, what we want to reach, what we want to connect with, the essence of God is to be found in this world. Going to heaven is very nice after you've done whatever it is that you have to do in this world and you can go there and enjoy and get rewarded and who knows else what else happens. But the essence of God is to be captured in this world. 
And our belief is that as time progresses, so that essence becomes just slightly more accessible, just slightly more revealed in our world. That doesn't mean to say that the world becomes a great place overnight. It doesn't mean to say that people start to behave as they should. It just means that it's closer to the surface. We're one step closer to the messianic reality, which is simply about revelation. It's not about peace treaties and abundance. It's about revelation. As you get closer to that place, you start to see more and more value in this world and becomes more and more important to have access to this world. It's no accident that we live in a world where there is so much abundance. It's not accidental. God had a plan right from when he said, let there be light till now. There's a plan. And the plan includes the fact that we have now entered a particular phase in history, an unprecedented phase in history where we have some level of wealth where we have access to things in abundance that people could never have dreamed of. That's a message. That's God telling us. Don't make the mistake of embracing the materialism for its materialistic offer because then you go straight down the chute and you become a completely desensitized spiritual being because you're too worried about the next uh, latte that you're going to have. But rather see that if there's more access to the materialistic, That means that it's become more of the tool. It's become the greater priority, shall we say, of tool that we should be using to access God. So not to have access to that particular tool, that actually becomes the greater challenge. So I remember once a long time ago, there was a a shear about, the, the shear was called the mitzvah to be wealthy. And a friend of mine said, oh, wonderful, another mitzvah that I'm not fulfilling. But really the point of the matter is that there is not a mitzvah to be wealthy, but a mitzvah to appreciate that our high life that we live today should never be misinterpreted to be a challenge to spirituality and to connection. It should be understood to be an access point to the greatest kind of connection. Different, Different to what we normally think. Definitely something to ruminate over. Hopefully it's something you'll discuss at your Shabbos table. And most importantly, hopefully it's something we can apply in our lives. It's been great. It's good to be back in the in the studio. Have a wonderful Shabbos. And please, God, we'll pick up next week with more fresh thinking. If you've got a topic that you think we should chat about this year, why don't you let us know? Send an email to onair at com. You can always also tweet me directly at Rabbi Shish.